Welcome to the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast, where we talk with the leading minds in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. I am your host, Ben Amaralt. I'm the marketing manager at Medicinal Genomics and proud member of the team that puts on the CanMed conference every year. Head over to CanMedEvents.com now to learn all about our CanMed 2021 event that will take place September 29th through October 1st at the Pasadena Convention Center in Pasadena, California. And be sure to get your tickets at our special early bird rate. While you're at CanMedEvents.com, be sure to sign up for email alerts to stay up to date with all the news surrounding this industry-leading event. The best place to do that is on our podcast page, which you can find in the main menu under the media tab. You can also go there directly by going to canmedevents.com slash coffee talk. There is a sign-up form on that page, and if you complete it, you will be entered into a drawing to win two CanMed 2021 VIP dinner tickets. While you're there, you can also listen to all the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast episodes in our archive. If you're looking for a more interactive experience, we've started a Facebook group to discuss all things related to cannabis from the bench to the bedside. We're calling it the CanMed Community Board, and it's a great way to communicate and collaborate with experts and enthusiasts in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and testing. Check out the link in the show description to join today, or just search CanMed Community on Facebook. On this episode, I had the pleasure of discussing the chemistry of cannabis with Dr. Marcus Roggen. In his various roles and positions, Marcus oversaw multiple teams that are focused on the whole processing flow of cannabis production from harvest and drying through processing and extraction, all the way to the formulation and quality control analytics. The topics we discussed include the number of compounds that have been identified in the cannabis plant and whether there are more to be found, the complexity of cannabis compared to other plants and herbs, the challenges with the entourage effect, could there be invisible compounds that are responsible for certain therapeutic effects, how different storage conditions and extraction techniques will yield different chemical compounds, and why the term whole plant extract is a misnomer. But before we get to that conversation, I do want to thank this episode's sponsor, the Cannabis Chemistry Subdivision of the American Chemical Society, also known as CAN. Since 2015, CAN has been building a strong network of scientists in the cannabis space to promote scientific innovation, safety, and the development through education, research, and the empowerment of the scientific community. To learn more about what CAN has to offer, please visit their website at www.cann-acs.org. And lastly, our friends at the Hemp and Coffee Exchange are creating some great coffee. If you didn't know, hemp coffee is healthy, delicious, and a natural product rich in trace minerals and nutrients, providing sustained energy without the crash of regular coffee. For more information, please check out hempcoffeeexchange.com and use the promo code DRINKHEMP to get 10% off your purchase. Okay. Without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Marcus Roggen.
Good afternoon, Marcus. Thanks for joining us. Uh, good afternoon. Thank you for having me. All right. I'm excited to talk with you today because I know that your, your area of expertise is extraction. and We haven't had an extraction expert on the podcast yet, so I'm excited to talk with you about that. But because you are our first extraction expert, I was hoping we could start with the basics. So could you explain the general concept of extracting compounds from cannabis? Sure. Uh, yeah, uh, it's nice uh, to be called an extraction expert. So I'm a chemist by background, uh, actually an organic chemist. So I learned how to make molecules. Uh, and uh, then in the cannabis industry, I found my niche in extraction. Um, I hope that we can speak about some of the other topics uh, that we're working on as well. But so extraction. Um, extraction in the cannabis industry comes from the desire of of making or, or turning the good part of cannabis and good is a discussion we can have in a moment uh, into other products than just joints. Um, <laughs> so then comes the question, how do you remove the cannabinoids, the, the good part, so to say, from the rest of the material of the plant that you don't want, like cell walls, chlorophyll, fats and waxes as they like to be called fiber and you can do that in various or there might be various forms to do that um, and extraction is the common and most efficient way to do so so extraction in the chemical sense means you are dissolving compounds of interest in your solvent or in, in a liquid uh, and remove them from the matrix or the undesirable aspect of your uh, material. So um, it might also help to think about what extraction is not. And keeping ice water hash and rosin press is not an extraction because that is a mechanical manipulation, either by pressure or mechanical agitation. Um, you're not using a solvent to pull out the cannabinoids. So extraction would therefore be CO2 extraction, butane, uh, or uh, alcohol extraction. Okay. And so what are the benefits of using a solvent versus doing sort of those mechanical operations like you had just mentioned? Yeah. So in a mechanical operation, uh, you have very little selectivity or specificity of what you're doing. You are just hoping that you can break off the compounds you like and leave behind what you don't like and then somehow separate them through a filter. Uh, and it, it wor that works quite nicely with, uh, with cannabis because most of the cannabinoids are in trichomes and they are smaller than the leaves so you could filter them off. But in, if you use a solvent for extraction, you can choose your solvent specifically to do the job you want. You pick a solvent that dissolves your compound of interest but does not dissolve the rest. So there isn't water extraction of cannabis because cannabinoids do not dissolve in water. So one picked another solvent and there comes uh, butane, uh, a very apolar solvent, aliphatic solvent that is very good in ex uh, dissolving terpenes and 
pretty good in extract uh, in, in dissolving cannabinoids, but not good or not at all compatible in dissolving water or other very polar compounds in the cannabis plant. And then ethanol, um, again, very, very good in dissolving cannabinoids, good in dissolving terpenes, but because it is a polar solvent, can also dissolve other compounds that might not be desirable, like uh, sugar, for example. Sugars uh, can dissolve in ethanol. Uh, and then CO2 is a, is a more varied solvent where you can try to play with conditions to change its solvent capabilities fine-tune for different compounds. But basically, uh, extraction allows you to pick a solvent and pick extraction conditions to, to target your compounds of interest and leave behind what you don't want. Okay. So it sounds like different solvents are, are good for different parts of the plant. So how do you go about really being selective of which one that you use? Is it a bit of a trade-off game in terms of which solvent you use? Yes, it is, it is always a trade-off game. Um, so far, and it's getting better in the last few years, but, but I've been now in the cannabis industry for a few years. Um, I, I think I started in 2014, uh, which makes me ancient in, in, in this industry. Although there were a lot of grades uh, before me and, and they're still around. So, um, in the cannabis industry, what often happened was you pick the solvent and then you build your, your operation around it. Uh, that was either because of beliefs, um, public interest or, um, regulations. I got my start in extraction in a company that was in an area where the only solvent allowed was CO2. So I became an expert in CO2 extraction. Not because CO2 was what I picked initially, it was just forced up on me. And uh, so you can also say, oh, butane is the one that gives you the best flavor. So people pick butane. Uh, but a better approach, which, uh, as I said, is slowly now taking over the industry, one should consider the inputs and the outputs. So for outputs is what do you, what is the product you desire to make? If you are making a CBD isolate, uh, you just need the highest recovery of CBD and the fastest, right? You, you don't think about further precision because you will purify afterwards anyway. So just churn through a lot of material. If you're thinking about vape cartridges, you're not thinking, okay, how do I, how do I customize my solvent system to make the product that I want? Um, and then there are also inhalables or dabbable products, uh, which have other product requirements uh, or ingredients for edibles. But then on the other hand, you also have the inputs. So what materials do you have? Do you only have 20 kilos of cannabis flour from an indoor grow every month that you have to go through? Um, or do you have uh, 200 acres of hemp that you has, uh, there where you have one harvest in, in autumn and you have to run through that very quickly? Mm. Uh, so all these aspects you have to balance to find the best system for extraction. 
So I'm curious with that, with that latter example, if you did have sort of this one large batch, um, you know, one large harvest, would the strategy be to, you know, pick one method and go through it all? Or could you have multiple different methods that kind of target um, different compounds within that harvest? And then you can kind of join them together after the fact? So do you mean splitting the, the harvest into yes. three product streams or going uh, th through three consecutive extractions with three different solvents for all of the material? <laughs> I was more thinking to split it up. So like say, okay. This... Okay. Yeah. So splitting up. So splitting up might actually be a good idea um, because you have to balance um, speed, precision, and, eco uh, and and just business economics. Because if you build an extraction facility that can handle all of the harvest within a month, you have a facility that doesn't do anything for 11 months. Hmm. So that's a very, very expensive facility that doesn't do much work. Uh, so you don't actually want to have the opportunity or if you could build a facility very very cheap that can handle that size then that might be an option so if you take a really really big bucket of ethanol you could extract the whole harvest in one dip hmm. uh, and a bucket isn't that expensive but does that make sense so yes maybe you split it so you would have something uh, that goes through your material uh, some of your material very quickly uh, like ethanol uh, you could have something that handles non-dried material well so that you can do fresh harvested and directly do the extraction without having to invest in drying capacity, which would be a butane or a hydrocarbon extraction system. Uh, and then you could consider of having a CO2 setup, uh, which would target to get through its allotted material over the course of a whole year, so that your very expensive instrumentation of CO2 um, doesn't need to be so large that no one can finance that anymore. But that would allow you to have constant uh, production of material uh, to a certain level of precision. Uh, so yes, it would be a very interesting setup and uh, I would like to help with that. Um, <laughs> but there comes something else into that. Um, the question of drying and preservation of cannabis or hemp material for extended time. Um, and so that's where my, my general research interest uh, didn't stop just at extraction. As a chemist, I was thinking, what else is chemistry related in cannabis that is attached or influenced by extraction? And so uh, we have been doing research into drying and curing and storage of cannabis uh, with different drying or, or freezing methods, uh, storage under various gases to, to affect terpenes and cannabinoid uh, consistency over time uh, so that they are either quickly handled or safely stored for extended time so that they could then uh, go into the stream of CO2 extraction half a year after harvest. Wow, that's interesting. So, I mean, it sounds like there's, there's a lot of different methods to do extraction. And then, of course, there's a lot of different compounds in the cannabis plant. Is it possible to really get a full spectrum 
um, extraction or tincture, or is that sort of a, a misnomer? I would I would say it is. Um, I mentioned I termed this I just said good something good um, and we can discuss about good. So we also have to discuss about the question what is full spectrum. If full spectrum means everything of the cannabis plant, you can't use an extract because by definition you left something behind, right? There's no chlorophyll, there aren't any leaves, there are no cell walls. So it can't be full spectrum because that is gone. So do you now define full spectrum as all of the cannabinoids and all of the terpenes? But what, a, because you test for those, but you don't test for all cannabinoids and all terpenes. And what about flavonoids and sugars and carotenes? And we know that those are around and they might have some value, flavor or medical or both. So how do you defel for, uh, def define full spectrum? Um, or is full spectrum just as the opposite of isolated. So full spectrum is not CBD isolate. Although uh, when you want to separate yourself from a full spectrum from anything isolated, um, one of the most common method to isolate is distillation. So how can you have a full spectrum ice, uh, distillate? I'm not, not kidding. You can buy full spectrum distillates on the market. That's an oxymoron doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, so I pitched the question back to you. What is full spectrum? Well, I mean, I, I guess I can't define that, but I know that at least the reason why people are interested in full spectrum is this whole idea of the entourage effect, right? That there are multiple compounds within the cannabis plant that are um, in some combination contributing to this medicinal effect that so many people benefit from. So, I think that's the reason why people are so interested in full spectrum. Um, but what does that involve? I think that I'm going to throw that back to you and because I know that you've done a lot of work in cataloging the various compounds that are within cannabis. So what, what do we know so far? Sure. Okay. So that, that's a multi-step answer. It's a, it's an entourage answer, right? Multiple <laughs> aspects work together to give the full picture. Um, so first, I'm a chemist uh, and not a, a medical or biological a bio a biology practitioner. So I don't actually know what molecules do with the human body. Uh, I just ensure that those molecules are there or not. Uh, but I then don't know what the effect is. Um, so yes, I understand uh, the, the public perception of entourage means there are multiple compounds uh, that act either together or independently on various systems and then these com uh, overall activity in the body leads to the desired effect. And that might be true. But another explanation I could have for entourage effect is similar to the full spectrum. Um, something works, we just don't know which one, and it might be a minor cannabinoid that no one tests for, and it's just super active, um, that we only see THC in it uh, as the main ingredient, but uh, this low concentration other cannabinoid actually does all the work. And uh, work by uh, Professor Mary, who you had on the show, um, does point to that interpretation 
in its particular area. So it's either multiple compounds do multiple things or it is one compound that no one tests for, but that does all the work. Um, and I'm not saying which one is right. Uh, I leave, leave that to the experts in the field. Although if you want to find that one that does all the work, uh, I might be able to help, right? We can, right. We can, we can find stuff. Um, then the next question is which compounds are there? And uh, that then comes to another interest uh, that came out of, of our research uh, push that we wanted to somehow catalog and have a, a centralized, verified, trustable source uh, that gives all the uh, all the compounds that are in cannabis. Uh, if you start googling information for uh, cannabinoids, you often fall onto websites like Reddit, uh, Leafly, uh, Wikipedia, and those information are all dispersed you can't really find all the information you want and some of or many of the information is is wrongly repeated mm -hmm. um, one of the things I see a lot is the melting uh, the boiling point of THC being 155 degrees which is correct based on the primary literature where that was characterized the problem is in the car and in the primary literature I think it was paper by Meshulam, it actually says it's 155 to 157 degrees Celsius at reduced pressure. They did the distillation under vacuum. So if you only give the temperature and not the pressure, everyone assumes that it's room, room pressure and you wonder why it never boils because if you would translate that into room pressure conditions, it would be at that boiling point of 425 degrees. And I'm even wondering if at that point, THC just decomposes and, and just like, dies. Uh, so by having incomplete and imprecise and often wrong information interdispersed through the web, we thought it would be useful to try to build a database that tracks all compounds that are known to the cannabis plant and have them in one database. Uh, we started that in-house so that we could just do our research better um, but later we thought it might be of interest to other people outside of our company and so we uh, built a, a website for it that uh, then allows everyone to search through and so we uh, the database is incomplete there are always new compounds found and uh, not all physical and chemical aspects of the compounds are known because they might have only been identified in small quantities uh, so that no one really measured that. Uh, but we're trying to add to that with literature that we find with research from collaborators and our own research. So over time, this database will just grow. And I think the next upgrade we are planning, so we initially had all the compounds, we had them in categories like cannabinoids and terpenes and flavonoids and so on. Uh, then we added uh, physical, com uh, physical aspects we could find, melting point, boiling point, viscosity, uh, density, and so on and so forth. Uh, and now we are looking at adding spectroscopical data. So what is the right LC or GC method to look for the compounds? At what time would they elude? Um, how does an NMR or an IR spectra look of those compounds? So that and then either allows you to build your own methods to look for the compounds or to, to interpret the spectra you're looking at right now. So we are slowly bringing that out. And um, it's kind of a 
project I had in my mind for a long time. Um, and I just tr hope now that other people see the value in it. Um, and I'm learning new things like databases and uh, uh, user user interactions with websites, like things that as a chemist, I never had to think about. Now I, now I play with that. Well, that's one of the, the perks of being in the cannabis industry. You get to wear many hats and take on a lot of things you never thought you'd get into. Uh, I know that. Yes, I, I study chemistry to not have to go into a law career that my father uh, wished for me. Uh, my father's a lawyer. Uh, so I studied chemistry. It's like patent lawyer. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not doing that. So I want to be a chemist. And I ended up in cannab uh, cannabis. And uh, one of the main things I have to deal with is regulations and rules and uh, and and the law. Um, I, my company is in Canada because in Canada it's federally legal and I'm allowed to do research by a federal agency and I can do it in collaboration with a federally funded university because uh, which cannabis company can afford an NMR? So mm -hmm. we're doing it with the university so that we have access to those instrumentation. And uh, yeah, I have to deal with law now uh, <laughs> and a very, very excited puppy uh, that is just coming back from a walk. So uh, please excuse the, the tip. Uh, tipping feed uh, noise in the background. Of course. Um, so I, I wanted to come back to that cannabis compound database. I mean, that seems like a tremendous resource for the community. So how many, how many compounds are we up to? Uh, we are above 750. I think, I hope that a update soon will bring us over the 800 compounds. Wow. Uh, we have over 200 terpenes. Uh, we are around 80 cannabinoids. I know there are over 140 already known, but uh, often they are just um, uh, just a, a letter combination and they don't even have a physical description. So if I can't really draw the compound, we haven't edited them yet. So we were slowly trying to bring those in as well. Um, flavonoids, we have a few. Um, we also track sugars that are known to the cannabis plant and should be of interest to track. Um, we have even some proteins and minerals in there that might actually be of interest uh, for some uh, practitioner in the industry. So over 800 compounds, how does that compare to other herbs or plants? Yeah, um, actually a, f a few years back at a cannabis conference, I saw a very good description of about the complicate uh, or like a visual description or about the complexity of the cannabis plant versus other um, agricultural plants. And it was a mass spectrum uh, trace of, uh, of uh, cannabis extract versus uh, I think it was a rosemary extract. And it was basically a forest. Uh, the extract of cannabis was just a forest. There's so many compounds uh, that I fully understand that people go with, uh, they like uh, the term full spectrum because defining this spectrum is, is so difficult. Uh, if you have a cannabis plant that has, well, we have 80 and uh, in our database, but there are over 140 cannabinoids known, uh, and all of them are potentially medically active or biologically active, um, that just blows most other plants out of 
out of the water. Mm -hmm. um, we actually re talking about plants. There are also other organisms that are of medical interest, like mushrooms. Um, our company recently uh, got a, a license to research psilocybin mushroom compounds. And there are less tryptamines one has to deal with than cannabinoids. So uh, even compared to mushrooms, it's much easier. Oh, mushrooms are much easier than cannabis. Right. No, and this whole idea of that, you know, there are these many different cannabinoids in, in trace amounts and they still will may have a medicinal benefit is, is very true. I mean, we've seen it time and time again where people have presented at CanMed um, of using THC in much lower doses and getting a better medicinal effect. So one would stand to reason that there could be other cannabinoids in the plant that we're not testing for that are in small amounts, but, you know, really pack a punch. So that's interesting yes, to think about. Uh, I, I, I do agree. In my time uh, in California, when I worked for a vertically cannabis uh, company um, and I headed the extraction formulation aspect, um, we also had a dispensary uh, on site and uh, we had a, we had a mother coming by for an, uh, a male adult patient. Um, he was suffering from adult onset epilepsy. And she was looking for a treatment as the, the common uh, classic medical solution hadn't helped. So she wanted to try cannabis. And uh, she, after some discussion with her, so again, I'm not a medical doctor, like I, I could guide to what I understand and guide her towards uh, medical help. But uh, eventually the mother took home for the patient uh, a tincture of THC CBD one-to-one. -one. No, wait, it was a three-to-one CBD THC tincture. I think, yeah. And she took that home and the patient uh, got immediate relief. Um, it, it went down from nine seizures a day to zero for the next two months. And uh, after two months, the, the tincture is running out. Uh, the mother comes back and buys more of this three to one CBD THC tincture. And uh, starting the new tincture, the patient starts to show epileptic seizures again. They're back. Uh, she uses the rest of the first tincture and they're gone again. It's a three to one CBD THC tincture. And we tested both again on the same day. We send it off to a testing lab and we got the test back. It was uh, CBD THC three to one as it should be. There was the same amount of THC acid in there. There was the same amount of CBD acid, nothing in there. Um, CBN, both nothing. Uh, CBC, more or less the same concentration between the two. And basically the test results were, more, were effectively identical of what we could see. Right. Uh, because unbeknown to anyone else in the company except the formulation team, uh, we make these tinctures uh, with CBD isolate plus THC extract from our CO2 machine. Um, and we used to use uh, Diamond OG 
for the THC part of that tincture. And at some point that oil had run out. So we switched to the next cultivar, which was a sour diesel or Girl Scout cookie. Uh, but we formulated to the exact same concentrations of CBD and THC. So by that, it doesn't matter. And in both cases, you could call our C THC extract from the CO2 machine full spectrum. So we have a full spectrum. They're different full spectrums, but they're full spectrum extracts with the same amount of THC and CBD in there. And the patient ex shows completely different effects. And to our test results, they are identical. So yeah, there's something else <laughs> that, that is of importance, but we don't know. And, and this, this, this annoyed the hell out of me because I have full control over the extraction. I have full control over the, uh, the formulation. I have control over the testing lab or that I send it to a testing lab, but I don't actually have any control. I don't mm. know what I'm doing. And, and this like question, like what else is in there? How do you affect that? Um, that just, it was just so annoying that I had to leave sunny California and move to rainy Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that would be frustrating. And I have to imagine that it must be quite the task to even try to begin to tease that out, given the fact that, I mean, you've identified over 800 compounds in the plant. How do you even begin to start um, trying to determine which compounds are, are doing what and in what combination too. That adds a whole nother layer. Yeah. So it is definitely something I can't solve. Right. Um, and that is, that is the best advertisement tagline on a podcast. I can't do it. Uh, <laughs> you need a community, is, like a CanMed community. But yes. Yes. The point is that it has to be a collaborative effort. Um, actually, one of the founding principles of uh, our company is fundamental collaboration. And uh, yes, I'm a chemist and I have now have my expertise in extraction. Uh, but we work with uh, university research groups uh, that are focused on computational chemistry, on uh, um, metabolomics, so analytical chemistry. Uh, we have collaborations with pharmacologists, formulation science, the school of pharmacy. So that if we just go through this example, we have the skills to do full metabolomic workup to figure out like every minute mass that comes out. Uh, then one can figure out from the mass and the breakdown of those uh, ions, what the structure could be, compare that to databases, hence our database. We have the access to NMR to actually identify the compounds if it's something new, if we isolate it. Uh, we have computational teams that uh, we, we have working models to dock cannabinoids and terpenes to various receptors and predict their binding affinity, which would give an indication of how strong or not strong there might be a medical effect. Hmm. Um, then we have pharmacologists with which we can work on like thinking about some, some actual in vitro studies, uh, in vivo, sorry, in vivo studies. 
uh, and and then we have the school of pharmacy right there we might have access to mouse models or at least like skin permeability pick skin uh, to just see how this actually absorbs uh, for the formulation aspect. Um, these are all things that only work in a team, only work in a collaborative effort. Excellent. Um, so yeah, it sounds like you have a lot going on there at your company. Um, talk, talk a bit more. We, we talked about the compound database. We talked about extraction. What else? And psilocybin testing as well. What, what else are you guys working on? Yeah, so before we get into psilocybin, which is now the new cannabis thing, uh, yeah, um, there's the whole stocks, uh, public market story and craziness about this part, which I leave to, to the experts uh, for everyone on the podcast. I'm doing air quotes. Uh, for a moment, let's stay with cannabis. So the question of uh, that you pose, like how do we find these compounds that that are important but currently not looked for. It, it's probably impossible to do this on a single extract and a single case, uh, patient case. Um, we have to find new solutions to, or modern solutions uh, to those medical problems. And it will involve a lot of data. Um, population size data sets. Um, we cannot do it on one or two cannabis plants. We have to look at, at dozens, hundreds, thousands uh, of cannabis plants to, to, to spot the difference by exclusion and comparison to other plants. Hmm. So um, we can't just take one plant, isolate every single compound and then try it on every single uh, in vitro study one can think of. Like, that's just not doable from the effort. So um, data analytics becomes something. And actually this, this topic of data analytics, we, we also embrace in other fields of our research and extraction research. So coming back to the start of this call, uh, I, I'm considered an extraction expert because I remember that early 2017, I got on stage and I explained to the cannabis industry what a design of experiment is and how to optimize the CO2 extraction with six experiments. Yes, and that worked. And uh, at the time in the industry, that was something new. Um, by now I've moved past that because six experiments optimize something, but the imprecision is large uh, and the factors you can look at are small temperature and pressure. But water content in the plant, mill size, machine, flow rate, all those influence extraction as well, cannabinoid content. So now we're looking at dozens of inputs, dozens of factors, uh, and we're looking at dozens of optimization targets, high terpene, pure cannabinoids, fast, all those. And that's not doable with experimentation or targeted experimentation anymore. So we're actually doing a big data approach to extraction. We work with our customers and clients uh, on taking in their old data sets. So now we have thousands and thousands of extraction runs and we can use now more advanced statistics that are beyond me as a poor organic chemist. And I have my data scientists and mathematicians on that. Uh, to to really tease out effects um, that are then uh, better understandable and controllable. Uh, so, yeah, now we are extraction experts. 
Uh, and uh, like a big data approach uh, has been very fruitful so far. It's a complicated question in cannabis because not only is the, the system difficult, but also the input data is imprecise. Um, everyone who worked in the cannabis industry and has seen people writing stuff down on paper understands that problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think this data approach or the modern technologies uh, that are used in other fields translate should translate well into the cannabis industry because we don't have historic baggage of how we have done stuff before mm-hmm. because there wasn't a legal industry before. Right. Yeah, so that that's one of the benefits, but uh, we also don't have that history to to fall back on either. You know, we're we're pioneers. We have to build that all. Right, right. And I said there is no baggage because there was no no legal industry, but there was a uh, illegal or underground uh, industry of cannabis, and that brings its own historic baggage. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it is helpful, and some of it is not helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one has to deal with that. So therefore, we move to a completely new organism that has all its own restrictions and <laughs> illegalities, uh, psilocybin mushrooms. Right. Yeah. Just just when cannabis was sort of entering the mainstream, you had to, you had to go Yes. <laughs> yes. When it became too boring, uh, right. I thought I'd do something else. Yes. It's very punk so, rock of you. Uh, yeah, no, I do. No, I don't think punk rock does that. It's more like uh, Euro techno, right? <laughs> well, I know punk rock is very uh, anti-mainstream. You want to keep it underground. Oh, I was more thinking of what the what the audience would partake in while listening to that music. Oh yeah, well, I mean, I, when I think psilocybin, I think uh, the Grateful Dead and Fish and uh, all that sort of stuff. Okay. But okay. I so <laughs> I have to admit, I have to admit. So, I, and I think that is by now known. Um, I have no idea of cannabis as a per, uh, as a consumer. So I didn't know how cannabis smelled when I started in the industry. I I thought you smoked the leaves. Like I had mm. no clue. And I take all this knowledge into the mushroom space. I again have no idea about uh, any any consumer effects um, and I just have to catch up and understand. <laughs> well, so uh, mushrooms are, or well, I'm in the lucky situation that uh, Canada has already its uh, solid legal framework for cannabis, which allows us to do our research. And they have also now established a legal framework for psilocybin research. It's somewhat behind in time uh, and more restrictive in its regulations. So I can do far less with mushrooms right now uh, than I can do with cannabis. Uh, one example is when you are in these, this space of restricted compounds and, and uh, organisms, you have to buy them from a uh, licensed producer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in cannabis, as everyone knows, there's way too much cannabis right now on the market in Canada. So for me, getting anything for my research is not an issue. Psilocybin, there are maybe single-digit 
number of producers that actually grow psilocybin mushrooms that you can legally buy for research purposes. Um, so it gets way more difficult. Um, actually, Numinos uh, is a licensed dealer. That's, that's the license you get uh, for psilocybin mushrooms. They are based in British Columbia. So they're based around the corner. Uh, although around the corner of the library of UBC is where you find your psilocybin mushrooms, but those I can't use for research. Different type of research. Uh, yes. In closing, Marcus, I want to give you the opportunity to uh, plug any websites, social media, or anything that you want to get across to the audience to learn more about the work that you're doing or to connect with you. Thank you. Yes, uh, as we, as I said, we we set up a research laboratory here in Vancouver, Canada, uh, to help the cannabis industry uh, in Canada, but also internationally, because data is free to travel across borders. Uh, but also now in the psilocybin space. Our company is called Complex Biotech Discovery Ventures LTD, which is a mouthful, but the acronym is CBDV. Uh, and the website is cbdvl.com. Uh, CBDV was got, uh, taken already and uh, the LCD needed to go somewhere in the name. So it's cbdvl.com. Uh, that's, that's where you can find all our research, our uh, projects we do, how we can help uh, various customers uh, in the cannabis and now in the psilocybin space. Uh, and also where you can find our compound database. Excellent. And uh, I would uh, be happy for anyone to reach out and uh, talk to how to make extraction or analytics uh, better. Excellent. I will include links to all those resources in the show description so folks can, can click on that and learn more. And I'll also share a link to your CanMid presentations as well. So... Great. Thank you very much. Again, Marcus, this was a great conversation. Thanks so much for taking the time and hope to see you out at Camden. Sure, I will try to. I'm looking forward to it. you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Marcus Roggen. Check out the links in the show description to learn more about the topics we discussed. And thanks again to our sponsor, CAN. Learn more about them at www.cann-acs.org. Our next episode drops March 24th. That's two weeks from today. In the meantime, please go to canmedevents.com slash coffee talk and sign up for email updates. That will enter you into a drawing to win two tickets to our CanMed 2021 VIP dinner and keep you up to date with all things CanMed 2021. If social media is your thing, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Just search for CanMed Events. And lastly, if you are listening via a podcast app, go ahead and hit the subscribe button so that new episodes automatically download to your device. 
and please leave us a five-star review as well. All right, that's it from us. Stay safe, stay healthy, and be sure to come back for the next episode of CanMed Coffee Talks.